guys brought up a lot of great questions for this episode of Ask SCPV. A lot regarding AEW, but a couple regarding WWE too. Our first question comes from Rasmus Emil Hurdleson. I hope I pronounced that right. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But he says, if you had to choose, would you rather give up the Elite and their gang or CM Punk and whoever would stand with him? Obviously, regarding to everything that happened with the media scrum, the backstage altercation, leading to suspensions at least. So if we had to cut ties with one of them, who's it going to be? The EVPs or potentially the biggest draw in the company? Uh, this is tough for me because I'm always so business minded. But in this case, I think that I would probably choose Kenny in the box over CM Punk. As much as that pains me to say, because I am a big CM Punk fan. Look, if this whole thing is true, we look at some of the things that occurred in the past in WWE, some of the issues that led to his release. And yeah, I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with the way he was treated and some of the things that he said were certainly true. But now he's in another promotion and we're seeing some of these red flags again. Comes down to like return on investment. He's getting paid a whole lot of money and he's creating a whole lot of noise backstage. That doesn't look too good for him. I think that Kenny... And the Bucks, they're invested in what AEW is. They are a big part of the reason why AEW exists. And they're bought in. And they're probably ride or die. Meaning they're going to be there forever. And it's not like they're going to cause a whole lot of issues like one CM Punk has. So I'm actually shockingly going to pick the Bucks and Kenny Omega here. Remember the movie Little Big League? Yes. So for those that have never seen this movie, this was a movie that came out in the early nineties, a kid inherits the ownership of the Minnesota twins. He fires the manager and ends up managing the team as a replacement. And there's a part in the movie where he has to release his favorite player because he just downright sucks. He can't hit for shit anymore. So he releases them and he has that conversation where like, you know, it sucks for me to release you, but I mean, cause I still have your baseball card and, I refuse to to trade it for X amount of players, baseball cards. And then the guy goes off on him. And he's like, oh, it's going to feel better because he still has my baseball card. You know, those that have seen the movie know exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like Tony Khan is in that same situation where that kid has to release his favorite player. Does Tony Khan make that same move? I think deep down, the difference here is CM Punk was still hitting home runs. He was still drawing money for AEW, you know, helping them get their first million dollar house, you know, three consecutive pay-per-views granted one. He wasn't on, but he should have been on was promoted for one until he got hurt, you know, and that huge rampage where people bought tickets on the rumor that he was going to be there. So, you know, financially he's been a helpful thing for AEW. Now, does that mean long-term it might hurt the business? And that's a decision Tony Khan has to make, which everybody's talking about. If it came down to just money, it's got to be punk that he keeps. But if it's backstage morale, maybe he keeps the Bucks and Kenny. Maybe he gets rid of all of them because, you know, Kenny seems to have rubbed some people the wrong way with that meeting, that talent meeting a couple weeks ago where. You know, everyone said, oh, it was a great pep talk. And others are like, no, he's full of shit and heavy handed. And then the Bucks, it's like, yeah, they're EVPs. 
they've done great for the tag team division, but are they really serving a purpose now? That's a question to ask if you're Tony Khan. It's a tough decision. And I think regardless of what decision you make, if you have to choose like this question to ask, you're going to piss people off. If you side with CM Punk, you're pissing off people that would side with the elite. And if you side with the elite, you're going to piss people off that side with CM Punk. I think in this case, Tony Khan is a tough decision because there's no right answer and there's no wrong answer. In his mind, it's just what he feels is best. And that's all that matters. But our next question comes from Siege Luigi. If Cody wasn't such a diplomat and talked openly about the issues he had with Kenny and the Bucks before leaving for WWE, would all the people online right now calling for CM Punk a locker room cancer have a different opinion? No, because the issue isn't so much that CM Punk had issues with the Bucks, because let's be honest about this. You think back to before Punk signed, he was critical of the way they were kind of dealing with him. Right. Remember, he was like, oh, they were saying how they made me an offer. They didn't make me an offer. They texted me. Let's not pretend there wasn't some sort of disagreement right from the get go. Punk's biggest issue is the way he conducted himself at the press conference. You know, so whether the backstage stuff happened either way, Punk still acted like a fool and made a fool of himself, in my opinion, at the press conference itself. So people would still, I think think negatively of him because at the end of the day if that backstage thing didn't happen but punk still trashed the evps and everybody else in a public forum like that i think punk would still look bad you know that stuff in my opinion that could probably happen behind closed doors if cody was still in AEW, would he be the buffer between punk and the elite where this might not even happen or it just stays behind closed doors and doesn't even get out to the public that's a question to ask yourself too, you know, cause it feels like since Cody left and I don't know if it's just coincidence or this just happened to be that way, but the dominoes kind of fell as soon as Cody left AEW kind of lost a little bit of their steam around March and April when Cody left, there was not as much focus on storylines when after Cody left, you started hearing more about backstage drama after Cody left. And some of that could be just coincidental, but at the same time, maybe Cody was that, that locker room leader that wasn't there for a while. Now that Jericho and Moxley kind of taken that role now that, you know, someone needs to step in and they have stepped in now. Cody might've been that guy. And now that he's not there, you had a guy like punk who is not afraid to open his mouth and air dirty laundry to defend himself and that's kind of what happened here well not only that but you look at a guy like cody rhodes who even though he wasn't as big a star in his initial run with the wwe he's been in a locker room environment where at least there's some sort of expectation you know what you can do and you know what you can't do because you know if you do something that's out of line or not accepted you got somebody like the undertaker who's shaking you down and telling you you're not supposed to be doing this shit cut it out right now you have cm punk Coming in, highest paid guy, knows he's the top guy. He's the champion. He knows that he's got Tony Khan in his back pocket. He's the talk of the town. He probably feels like he's bigger than the company. What are those guys going to do? Like, I'll say and do whatever I want because I know I'm the top draw here. Who's going to tell him not to do it? If Cody Rhodes is there, maybe that happens. Maybe he's like, punk, like, calm down. You can't do this stuff. Even though, like, 
Cody isn't wasn't the Cody from WWE. Like he wasn't the same guy in AEW. Like at least he can go to him and say, "Look, I've been places. I've done things. I've been to the 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 biggest companies in the world, and I've worked everywhere." Like you can't go out there and do these things. That's a bad look. Punk there with those guys. Why would he listen to them? Punk's a bigger star than them. Hopefully, time heals all wounds in this situation, and Cody. You know what? He's not there anymore. So we can't really dwell on the fact that he's not there anymore and try to pin that as the reason AEW is where they are. I just kind of noticed it. Like the timelines kind of lined up and you have that thought in your head. But I think a weird coincidence that it just seems like everything kind of fell apart when he left. Our next question comes from Sam and he says, who should Tony Khan put the AEW world title on going forward? They need someone they can count on. Oh, man. There's a number of people you can do. I think Brian Danielson's a good choice. He's probably my number one. My dark horse, and we talked about this, I would say Darby. Just for the sake of doing something different, thinking outside the box, showing that you're willing to be invested in your talent and do different things and take a chance. I disagree. I think right now, it's got to be either Moxley or Jericho. They are locker room leaders. They are flag bearers. They are what AEW is all about. They were there from the beginning. And right now, can you really say there's been anybody more reliable than Chris Jericho and John Moxley in AEW? Granted, Moxley left for a little bit to take care of his demons, but he's come right back and hasn't lost a step. Jericho, even with his stuff with his podcast and stuff with his band, He's never lost a step. He never took like a long hiatus in AEW. I think right now, AEW needs that stability and that focal point. And yes, I guess some people will say it doesn't help elevate the younger talent. But when you build up the younger talent to beat one of these guys, it's going to take those talent to the next level. So I think right now you keep the belt on Moxley. Let him have as long of a reign as he wants surpass Kenny Omega if you have to until you have someone that's right to pull that trigger on. You don't have Max beat him? You could have Max beat him in a couple months, but if you feel like Max isn't that guy, you know what? Max isn't that guy and build up a Darby in like six months. Build up Danny Garcia in a couple months. Build up whoever you feel like it should be. Even if it's Orange Cassidy. Whoever Tony Khan feels like could be the next face of AEW, let that face of AEW beat John Moxley or Chris Jericho. I think it's actually pretty likely Jericho is going to be the next champion, but you really think it's Jericho? I don't even think he's beating Danielson. I think they're going to do Danielson versus Moxley in the finals. I mean, I do like the way the brackets are kind of shaped out. I don't think Sammy Guevara is doing much of anything other than just taking a spot up in there, but who knows? I mean, Crazy shit can happen, um, but there is a lot of history there with a lot of the guys that are in the in the tournament. And then there's a lot of history between most of the people in the tournament and MJF waiting on the other side. So it's at least intriguing. Next question comes from Grant Anderson with Bobby Fish done in AEW. What do you think is next for Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly? I feel like they haven't gotten the chance to even really get started in AEW. So I think it's a really big missed opportunity i agree definitely missed opportunity i think it's more of bad situational stuff with adam cole than anything else you know bobby fish what was he really going to do in AEW? 
You know, I think they need, they definitely, absolutely, especially if Punk's going to be gone for a long period of time or maybe ever, they need guys with personality. Adam Cole has personality. He's got the whole Adam Cole Bay Bay thing going for him. He's over. Kyle O'Reilly, to me, another good wrestler. They got a million good wrestlers there. They've got almost too many good wrestlers there. What does Kyle O'Reilly do other than have great matches? He's not particularly good on the mic. There's not particularly anything all that interesting about him, at least yet. I didn't even like what they were doing with him in NXT towards the tail end of his run when he was, what what was it, Too Cool Kyle or something? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. So Adam Cole will be fine. He's just got to get healthy. Kyle O'Reilly, I don't know what's next for him. I would not be surprised if he's not there for very much longer, to be honest. Well, I don't know what his contract status is with right. Kyle O'Reilly. I would, to be honest, I didn't realize Bobby Fish's contract was so short because he just signed less than a year ago and now he's gone and his contract's not getting renewed. And I, I, I feel like there was a missed opportunity because there was never a follow-up to the attack of the undisputed elite on the young bucks. Nope. Nope. And you would think that was the seed planted for, Undisputed Elite versus the Elite. And now Kenny and the Bucks are gone for a while. And Bobby Fish is done with AEW. So unless Roderick Strong is leaving NXT and going to join O'Reilly and Cole, they kind of missed the boat on that potential feud. I mean, you could always tie someone in with Kyle O'Reilly in a tag team, but it won't get the same buzz because it's not that NXT versus AEW Wednesday Night War feeling that they would expect to get with that feud. Next question comes from 4K D-Ray with AEW producing so much content across multiple streams of media on a weekly basis. What day and time would work best to move Rampage to a live two-hour stream? Stream? He used uh, the word stream, but it could be <laughs> it could be television or... If you're talking stream, the best stream would be YouTube. You're not going to stream Absolutely. on Facebook or Twitch. Fridays are tough because you got SmackDown. They're not going to compete with that. They're just not. Um, can't do Monday. The problem is this. The reason why Rampage is where it is is because, A, they don't want to compete with WWE on any time slots. And, B, they don't want to compete with any live sports in that time slot. Yeah. So that's why they're not on Thursdays. And that's why they're not on Mondays. So they don't have to worry about Monday night football or Thursday night football. Friday at 10, because they don't worry about SmackDown. Theoretically, you can't put them on Tuesday with NXT. Because it's not like NXT is really getting a lot of viewers right now anyway. But Rampage isn't either. Unless you are willing to compete with any other wrestling show on WWE. Or take a hit knowing that NFL is going to beat you and take away your viewers. There's really nowhere else to put it besides Friday at 10. Unless you go the old WCW and NWA route with that Saturday 605 slot. Even Saturday is going to be tough depending on how long the show is. Cause you UFC is on Saturdays, but that's later, but the prelims and stuff like that. If it's two hours from eight, six Oh five to eight Oh five. I'd you probably know, keep it, it where it is, to be honest. Right. Like the ratings, the live and same day ratings are going to suck regardless. And I think people 
are focusing too much on that rating because they don't know better and because they don't work in television that they think these are the be-all, end-all ratings that TV networks look at. I guarantee you WB Discovery is looking at that show knowing it's on Fridays at 10 and knowing that the live same-day ratings are going to suck, that they don't look at them. There are ratings called C3 or Live Plus 3 and C7 or Live Plus 7 that nobody talks about because none of the wrestling journalists talk about them and no one that is in the internet wrestling community even know about them because they don't work in television. Why do I know them? Because I work in television. Yes, I said it. I know you guys hate me when I mention it, but I work in television. I know a little bit about ratings more than you. Sorry. I hate when the IWC think they're ratings experts. They're not. So Rampage could say where they are because they get the DVR playbacks. Trust me. When Brandon Thurston talked about them like almost a year ago, you saw with the DVR numbers, they were almost the same as Dynamite. It's not going anywhere. They're basically banking on the fact that people watch on DVRs the next day or throughout the weekend at some point. They know no one's going to watch Friday night at 10 live. They're banking on it being DVR'd. And a lot of networks today bank on their content either being watched VOD on a streaming service or on DVR. They're not worried about watching it minute for minute live unless it's a live sporting event or live news. Honestly, the best place for it is Fridays at 10. And I know it sucks that it's only an hour, but quite honestly, it's more the roster's too big than it is the TV time's not enough. Next question comes from Joshua Bishop. We migrate to WWE. When and where will uh, Bray Wyatt come back to wrestling? Well, I'm going to guess in the next six months, WWE. Maybe the Royal Rumble. I don't know if he's still filming movies. But if he likes what he's doing, doing like horror movies or whatever he said he that was reported that he was doing, he might stick with it. Why come back to wrestling? I don't think he really fits in AEW. I don't either. I don't know. I mean, he'll get a little bit more creative flexibility with Triple H. But does that actually mean he'll be booked better with Triple H? And... He's not a guy that's going to run the indie circuit. He's not a guy that's going to go to like NWA or MLW or New Japan. So honestly, I would not be surprised if he ever came, if he never came back to wrestling. Next question comes from Unrealized Thoughts. Who else from the main roster should have a run on NXT like Ziggler, Natalia, or Apollo Crews? He says Ali comes to mind or something like that. Depending on what they want to do with it. And depending on if there's somebody that they are super confident, like this guy is a no-brainer, he's going to be a huge star. It would be cool to see Seth go back. But let's say he goes back, right? He goes back and gives a title defense to Braun Breaker. And Breaker beats him. Does that hurt Seth Rollins? More than it elevates Braun Breaker. I think the best wrestlers in the world are able to build themselves back up no matter what. I mean, we've seen that with Kevin Owens. We've seen it with Sami Zayn. Both guys lost. No shame in losing to Steve Austin, but let's be honest. He lost to like a 40-some-odd-year-old guy who hasn't wrestled in however long. Um, And Sami Zayn lost to Johnny Knoxville. And this is probably the best run we've seen both of them on in recent history. So Seth would be able to build himself right back up. I have no doubt about that. Riddle would be a cool guy that I could see doing it too. 
All right, our last question comes from one of our Squared Circle Cycle Babble members, which you could be a part of now by clicking join underneath this video or in the link in the description. Got some really cool perks, including asking questions in advance, getting ad-free episodes, episodes ahead of time, and also watching us record our episodes every Thursday night. So Chippo has our last question here, and he asks, is Chris Jericho in the top 10 of the most important professional wrestlers of the last 30 years, taking into consideration everything from in-ring work to promos to impact in the business to a wider culture? The way it's phrased, the most important, I would say no, because Austin, Rock, Hogan, automatically bigger. And when you say important, that's that's the big one. Like, did he did he bring the industry to new heights? What did what did what like he he's well, done? Let's put it this way. Hold on, hold on. If it wasn't for Jericho facing Omega, do we have all elite wrestling? No, but that's a pretty big important factor here. And well, the fact I think, that I think where where Chris Jericho, where Chris Jericho, some might have rendered him like past his prime. And like, n- not the man he was, he went out, wrestled a guy that very few people knew, unless you're like really following new Japan pro wrestling, made huge numbers for new Japan pro wrestling with that match. Then it leads to the domino effect of all in and then leads to all elite wrestling. And if Chris Jericho does not sign with all elite wrestling, who knows if TBS, TNT, you know, t- Warner media signs them to a TV deal. All right. So, so let's he's go pretty it. important there. He's up there, but let, let's go top 10 ever. So let's, let's go through it. Austin rock. Austin Hogan, rock. I agree with. Yes. Cena is bigger than him. Yep. Okay. I, I put them in the top 10. So that's four. Uh, Brock Lesnar, because he transferred, he, he had the transition over to the UFC. He had a huge yep. following there. He was in five. I would say Undertaker is definitely bigger than Jericho. Okay, six. So you're telling me seven, eight, nine, or ten. You wouldn't put him in that conversation. I'm trying to be as fair as possible. I would honestly because, might because even also, argue also Kenny Omega. In, in ring work, promos. You also talk about the fact that he's been able to change his character so many times and connect with the audience on so many different occasions. The key word is important, though. Read read it back again. Read it one more time. Is he in is the top Chris 10 Jericho, of most important? Is Chris Jericho in the top 10 of most important professional wrestlers of the last 30 years, taking into consideration everything from in-ring work to promos to impact of the business and a wider culture, which I mean, I think he means like more like mainstream notoriety. Speaking of which, seven is Ric Flair. Of the last 30 years, though? So, 30 years. Absolutely. Ric Flair well, right now is... 1992, I guess. I, I, I mean, I think Ric Flair's impact in wrestling was pre-92, not post-92. But, I yeah, I could see it. If you want to make the argument, you can. But Maybe he falls within that 8 to 10 range. I think you could probably make a case for Omega maybe being ahead of him. Not Certainly not from a character standpoint. From the level... But the... I think Keyword more people know Omega because of Jericho, though. But here's the thing. You said, does AEW exist without Chris Jericho? AEW doesn't exist without Kenny Omega in the matches he had with Okada. I, in my opinion. No way. I think, well, 
I don't even know if that, the indie scene kinda, would be as hot without Kenny. I think that kind of started some people under like knowing who Kenny Omega is or like starting to hear the name. But once Jericho tied himself to Omega, that was really the domino that fell into place for everything else to go with all I, with all in and eventually all elite wrestling. If you asked me, is he one of the top wrestlers ever because of the way he's able to just change his gimmick, be a different guy, all this, you know, transcend himself, I would say absolutely without question. Is he one of the top 10 most important wrestlers? I would say maybe. I can realistically put him in that 8 to 10 range. I would put him in. I would put him in the top 10 because, yeah, he's not. Austin, he's not The Rock, he's not Hogan, he's not Cena, and he's not Lesnar. I think those are the top five of the last Undertaker and Undertaker. I think those are your top six. Flair, like, see, I I think Flair though, his impact was more, you know, the '80s than it was after. Because you're because 30 years ago was 1992. Yeah, he won the greatest Royal Rumble that ever happened, but he, you know, was kind of not really taken seriously during the Monday night wars when Eric Bischoff ran WCW. Yeah. He started evolution with triple H and you know, was great then, but then he retired and yes, there was some mainstream, you know, recognition for him. Thanks to that Ric Flair drip song or whatever that song was called. And he's on that car shield commercial now. And you know, his, his daughter is one of the top women in WWE. So like, yeah, there are people that still know Ric Flair today and still had his last match and sold so many tickets that they actually had to go to a bigger arena because of it. I get that, but I still think like his impact was pre 92. Sasha Banks. No, not of the last 30 years, maybe of the last 10 years, you could put her in the conversation, but of the last 30 years, I would not. I definitely think Jericho's in that conversation. I definitely do because let's also not forget he was one of the catalysts of WCW guys jumping to WWE at the end of the Monday night wars too. So that plays a big role in wrestling history too. First undisputed champion. First undisputed champion beating the rock and Austin in the same night. And then losing to triple H at WrestleMania 18. So I would put him in. I, I think he's like behind those six that we agree on. I think Jericho's right behind those six. I think he's number seven. I mean, I think this run in, in AEW has certainly helped solidify it too. Yes, definitely. I, I, I say he's number seven, but I'm sure some people might put him higher. Some people might put him lower. Let us know in the comments section or send us a tweet at SCPB podcast. Give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast provider. Subscribe, hit that bell for notifications, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psychobabble.